In John's Gospel, there's a number of conversations going on between Jesus and other people. We've been looking at sometimes Jesus is speaking to one person, sometimes he's speaking to a group of people, sometimes it's in private, sometimes it's quite public. Some are affirming, some challenging, some brought joy and peace, some of the conversations made people angry. And this one with Pontius Pilate that was in the reading that Valerie read, and it's in the Bible's uh, in the back of the chairs in front of you, page 106 and 107. In there is a conversation that's broken up because involved with the chief priests, and they, they refused to go into Pilate's palace because um, he was a Gentile, not Jew. Um, it was the day before the Passover, and the law was if they were in a non-Jew's house the day before the Passover, they couldn't eat the Passover meal. So they stayed outside, and Jesus was inside the palace, and it was a kind of conversation that, you know, Pilate went outside, and they said such and such, and he goes inside, and he says to Jesus, this is what they're saying, and Jesus says something, and he goes back out, and he says to the chief priest, well, do you know what Jesus said about that? And they say something else, and then he goes back in, and so it's, it's a very disjointed conversation conversation because of that and on the eve of crucifixion not only is that but they were also quite often talking at cross purposes did you see what I did there crucifixion cross purposes wake up it was just genzy at one point the conversation seems to be about truth verses 37 and 38 in chapter 18 but it's really about power it's really about kings and kingdoms Pilate said, don't you realize I have power? Verse 10 of chapter 19, Jesus answered, you would have no power unless it were given you. Pilate was mocking Jesus, really. Pilate was really effectively saying, see me, I've got this big palace, I've got all these soldiers running after me, whatever we want. I'm the boss, I'm king. You know this guy that's just been beaten up here and doesn't have two hatings to rub together? How can you possibly believe that he's a king? Look at him, the kind of thorns in his head and everything. Yet twice in the conversation, Jesus affirms that the king, his kingdom is of a different type altogether. Now today is Remembering Sunday, of course, and I think an appropriate Sunday for us to come to this passage as we look at a clash, not just between Jesus and Pilate, but really between Jesus' kingdom and not just Pilate's kingdom, but indeed all other kingdoms and powers and domains. Because warfare is really the outcome, is it not? The logical extension of self-interest. Warfare is the logical conclusion of when we only see things from our point of view and self-interest. Clashes escalate until they become warfare. Now in Jesus' day, it was the Roman Empire who was dominant. There had been others before the Roman Empire, Assyrians, Babylonians, Greeks and more. And there have been many domains and empires since. Yes, the Moors, the Goths, the British Empire, the Third Reich, the Soviet bloc, and so on. And one thing that all of these empires, all of these blocks, all of these kingdoms have in common, one thing that they've all got in common is that they use power and force not only to get dominance, but they use power and force to maintain dominance. 
All of them. It's the way of human empires and kingdoms. And Jesus made that point, verse 36. He says that if his followers, so sorry, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest. If my kingdom was like all the other kingdoms of this world, my servants would be fighting. That's what kingdoms do. But Jesus was being crystal clear that his kingdom was not to be like that. Now at this point, um, I need something of a disclaimer. It is to our shame and embarrassment that too often the followers of Jesus and the church of Jesus have not lived up to this. We've got a very mixed history on this issue. Far too often the church has been on the side of those with power or used or turned a blind eye to violence. That was not the way of Jesus. Jesus was arguing and showing a very different way. A wholly different kind of kingdom and kinship to what people were expecting, to what they had known before or since. Now this theme of the kingdom of God is not a phrase used much in John's gospel, but was very much at the heart of Jesus' ministry. Matthew tells us that Jesus began his ministry declaring that the kingdom of God was coming. He went about teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news about the kingdom, Matthew 4. Jesus asked us to pray for the coming of God's kingdom, as we, as we did this morning in the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Jesus said to seek first the kingdom of God. And after his death and after his resurrection, we're told in Acts 1, he spoke to his followers and talked with them about the kingdom of God. That is, Jesus was crystal clear that he what he thought he was doing was bringing in or establishing the kingdom of God. He wasn't coming to make the world a slightly better place. He wasn't coming to make nice people just a wee bit more nice. He wasn't coming to make the world a bit more democratic than it had been before. He was crystal clear. He was bringing in the kingdom of God. That was his message. And he said, this kingdom is of a wholly different type and nature from the kingdoms that have gone before and indeed the kingdoms that will come since. That is, it was not to be a kingdom based on self-interest, not to be a kingdom based on acquisition. It was a kingdom with a whole different set of values. And that's what Jesus meant. And when he says in verse 36 that his kingdom is not of this world, he's not saying, well, his kingdom is not here, it's not material, it's maybe something you get in the ether after you've died. No, as I just said, he taught his followers to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done here, on earth as it is in heaven. His kingdom was to be here, but just to be wholly different. It was a kingdom not built on privilege or on hierarchy, not one even established through the ballot box. It wasn't to have a worldly source or origin at all. It does not depend on or rely on anything in this world to give it credence or establish it. Its source, its life, its being is from God. A kingdom yes, to do it with this world, to be in this world, but of a wholly different kind. For it was a kingdom established through sacrifice, through service. 
a kingdom where the cross was the ultimate searching and sifting reality, a kingdom based on truth, spelt out in love and sacrifice. Now when Pilate, at verse 5 we have it in chapter 19, after the toing and throwing had been going on for a while, he brought Jesus out in front of the crowd and in front of the priests and the leaders outside the palace, and he said, here is the man. Now as has happened a few times in John's Gospel, John gives words to someone in the story which actually mean a lot more than the person speaking them realised. Pilate says, here is the man. And what John intends us to pick up from that is, yes, here is humanity at its finest, at its best. And it hasn't got a palace. It hasn't got an army at its back. It's not dressed in finery. Here he is, beaten up, tortured, humiliated, but still loving and still going on with the sacrifice that he's about to make for others. Here is the one representing a kingdom where the meek are blessed, where the last are first, where service and sacrifice are the measure of greatness. It is not an image of cruel despotism, but one of suffering love. It is a man in the image of God, but here it is, What's the image of God that humanity can best have? Not the guy with the big hair and beard and a clown. But this guy beaten up, this guy wretched, this guy humiliated, this guy mocked. And he's effectively saying, you've done all that, but you know I'm still going to love and I'm still going to serve and I'm still going to reach out to you because my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not about self-interest. My kingdom is not about grabbing and getting, but rather it's about giving. And look not just at the man that Pilate has dragged out there in verse 5, but also at the other characters in the story. The religious leaders who have brought Jesus there. A mass they are of self-interested contradictions. As I said, you wouldn't go into Pilate's palace because, you know, that might be going to be in the house of a Gentile and they couldn't eat a Passover the next day. He can't do that. That's against the law. But they're quite prepared to organize the crucifixion of an innocent man. They call him a blasphemer, verse 7. A rival king to the emperor, verse 12. Any charge that they could make stick. Called him a criminal at the back end of chapter 18. And even so caught up do they get in their scheming and arguments, you may even find them, verse 15 of chapter 19, saying that we have no king but Caesar. Now to the Jews that is a blasphemy. They've started off blaming Jesus, but just tripped themselves up. They're a mass just of self-interested contradiction. What about Pilate? He doesn't come out the story with much glory, does he? 
he's prepared to have an innocent man flogged. He, he finds no basis for a charge against Jesus, but verse 1 of chapter 19, he has Jesus flogged. Now, hang on a minute, Pilate. If Jesus is innocent, you shouldn't be flogging him. You don't flog an innocent man. So what do you think, what are you trying to do here? Well, he's trying to just have some kind of half measure, you know, just, okay, we won't kill him, but we'll beat him up, and maybe the crowd will be satisfied with that. Or he's trying to find an excuse to do the correct thing. He points out in verse 39 of chapter 18 that it's the custom to release a prisoner at the Passover. Hey, that's convenient, we'll just release Jesus. But no, no, Pilate, you should be releasing Jesus because Jesus is innocent, not because it's the Passover. Self-interested, contradictory, unprincipled. Human history in the world today is littered with such. And it's always going to be when there is no higher calling or no higher purpose than our own interests. Because then no matter how high-minded or principled these interests seem at first, confusion, contradiction and sometimes disaster follows. choice that faced that mob in Jerusalem shouting out for Jesus is a choice still before the world. Which way, which king, whose kingdom do we want to be in? Pilate and the chief priests represent quite an attractive alternative. Who fancies living in a palace? Who fancies having people running about after them? Sounds good, doesn't it? But the gratification of human lusts and hungers, the nationalist dream, the political kingdom, inevitably takes us to conflict and to warfare. And Jesus still stands before us offering his way of truth, a knowledge of God the Father which begins in the valley of confession and repentance and leads forward along the pathway of daily surrender to Jesus as Lord. On the surface, that sounds a lot less attractive. Giving up is good for you. Sachi and Sachi never thought of that one. But the story doesn't end at the cross. God's work in his world continues. Jesus' resurrection was to show that he had overcome and that though he was seemingly here at the mercy of the principalities and powers of the world, in fact God was very much in control. And the resurrection stands as a validation of what Jesus claims about being a different king and a different kingdom. And of ultimately that king and that kingdom being acknowledged. And so our remembering of Remembrance Sunday should include the reminder that conflict is not an ultimate cure. Conflict leaves a great deal unresolved and unreconciled. Despite the many advances humanity has made over so many years, we are still basically people only too ready to accept only our side of the story people who don't think much of the losers unless we are among them, people who use power to justify what we want. Isn't that still the kingdom and the climate in which we live? When you 
bulletins, your newspapers in the past uh, week and more have been filled with stories of sleaze, of people using their offices in Westminster for private business, of people making what seems to me to be disgusting amounts of uh, money um, by the hour for a, for a second job and so on and so forth. But here, here's the truth. Politicians are not a different breed from the rest of us. They're not. They come from among us. In a democracy, basically a country gets the leaders that it deserves. Their self-interest isn't particularly different from your self-interest and my self-interest. And even in the last-minute failure of COP26, when they couldn't agree on, a, on an issue about, um, about the um, coal... Isn't that terrible, India refusing? Not very naughty of them. But the Indian economy depends so much on stuff made with coal. Who buys it? Who do the Indians sell it to? And as long as we insist on getting it from India at cut prices, then, then we're complicit. It's not as easy as we think it is. It's not them and us. It's not our interests over against someone else. We, we are in all of this world and all of its issues together. And as long as the issues are approached from what suits me, what seems best to me, what's comfortable for me, what's, what's good for me, then we are not living with the kingdom of God. We are not living with what Jesus said. And the fact of the matter is, that's the only way to have reconciliation and peace. I only thought of it this morning, so I had not time to look it up. Some smart person will probably Google it before the end of the service and tell me, was it J.K. Chesterton that said, Christianity was not tried and found wanting? Christianity has not been tried at all? Was that, was that Chesterton? You think it was, no? And you, you know the point he's making. The trouble is that so often Jesus' teaching has been uh, tried to be sort of woven in with the self-interest, real right stuff, and it doesn't work. And just as Jesus was standing there with Pilate and the priests and the crowd in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, and they had to make up their minds, so too we have to make up our mind. What is the higher purpose? What is the higher calling? Which is the way that we should go? Do we want to be just like Pilate and try and push the issue to the side? Except we're not able to. Is it a case that we will only accept what Jesus is saying if it's made to fit in with what we already believe? That's what the priests were doing. Is it the case that we will only accept it if it seems to be giving us some quick benefit regardless of the consequence to others? That's what the crowd was doing. See in the cross of Christ God shining love, a love which is the foundation of a new kingdom, a new life, 
a tough shuffling love that goes on working, calling, transforming the world until God's kingdom finally and fully established when Christ comes again. Here is the man, said Pilate, verse 5. That man, that same Jesus, still stands before us now. That man, that same Jesus, will stand with the one who st- we stand before in the day of judgment. And the question is, was he just some kind of pastime, or was he the king? And to say, as we sang at the beginning of our service, Jesus is king, is not just some cheap acknowledgement of somehow, somewhere we're responsible to him. It's a pledge, it's a, a commitment to live in the kind of kingdom that he was talking about, where the meek are blessed, where it's better to give than receive. Where God himself was prepared to stand in front of that crowd with blood dripping from his head and goodness knows where else to be laughed at and mocked and ridiculed because the most important thing at that point was sacrificial love. And in the kingdom of God, That's exactly what remains most important. Let us pray.